episode 25 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is investigator, witness, and engineer Scott Taylor. This is going to be a Sasquatch-laced back-and-forth conversation with Scott and I after I delivered him a wood watcher. I'll tell you more about what a wood watcher is later, but first, do you know about Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com? If you don't, you should. Why, they are our sponsor. Along with Marcia K. Moore, the artist from Ancient Aliens that worked on the Guardians of the Badland Ground Earth Pictograph. Long story short, brilliant stuff at Etsy at Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com, E-R-Y-N. Shaman-inspired drums, rattles, and smudge fans. And I will have one of the pieces at our Secrets of the Sasquatch meeting. I'll tell you more about that. But first, let's get into Scott Taylor. We'll be right back. As I said, Scott Taylor is our guest today. Scott, engineer by trade, Bigfoot investigator, researcher, uh, at night. Also during the day, probably the weekends, much like all of us, if you're interested in the subject matter. He had his first encounter back in 2005. It was an unelicited encounter from, we'll say, northern Washington. And he'll get into all that. And then he quickly fell down the rabbit hole. And as we've discussed here before, it just depends how deep you want to go down this rabbit hole. And we go really deep. So prepare yourself because we are up against the clock. Five days to the secrets of the Sasquatch at the Axe and Fiddle in Cottage Grove, Oregon on July 13th. And I thought Scott would be an important voice to kind of set the tone before this conference. But before we go down that rabbit hole, let's hear from Scott Taylor and his own secrets of the Sasquatch. Well, we are here with Scott Taylor. We're at his house right now. I just dropped off a wood watcher for him and Susan. And uh, we are inside the living room here, and Scott and I are just catching up. I'm having a nice cup of coffee here since it's strange brow. We're having a strong brew and a Sasquatch mug. And um, so, Scott, you just got back from your getaway cabin, you and Susan's little getaway. Tell me yes, a little bit about how you chose this cabin that you just got back from. So we decided that uh, down the road, when I retire, we're going to want to live out in the woods somewhere. We want to live where we have Sasquatches around us mm-hmm. because we, uh, we'd like to have a campfire and have them come just sit right in and and chatter with us across the campfire if they want to and mm-hmm. and build that kind of relationship with them yeah and so we found this uh, little property out west of shelton and uh so it had a nice house on it a pump house and we've done some improvements and and it's a you know w- work in progress but we've we've uh, been having um Sasquatch activity ever since we planted four fruit trees. That was the thing that got their first attention. So you did that with purpose. You must have mm-hmm. thought, okay, eventually these things will want natural food to come for. So 
What did you plant? What did you end up? What kind of fruit trees? So we planted two apple trees and two cherry trees. Um, I think that uh, the idea of, of planting trees and caring for, mm-hmm. you know, your your property and and the and the, the wildlife and, and the trees and the things that are there, um, I think that resonates with them. And um, you know, the the fruit trees are that's a food source down the road. And I think they appreciated that. Um, mm-hmm. The way we found out was we had we had constructed a glyph, and um, it was some sticks arranged um, in the, the the shape of a fish, kind of. Okay. And we put some rocks, some little pebbles in there, arranged them a certain way, and we'd take a picture, and then we'd go away for the week, and we'd come back and. And, and see what had changed, and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened until we planted those trees. Oh, really? And then we came back, and they had added a rock, and it's too big a rock for a squirrel to carry or a bird to carry. Uh, it had to be some something that had some hands to build, take this rock from somewhere else and put it in the middle of that glyph. Well, okay, so I'm familiar with what you're talking about, but I want to talk about this glyph in the shape of a fish. Are you talking like I would see on a bumper sticker? Yeah, kind of like. Really? Is that an acknowledgement of faith, you think, for you? Did you take it that way? Yeah, I kind of took it that way also, yeah. Okay. And that's kind of why I chose that at first. Right. You know, we we tried other shapes too. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, I got you. Now I'm going back to the story. You left the glyph. We left they the They put the rock in the middle there yeah. as an acknowledgement, yeah. maybe. Of like, okay, it. we get yeah. it. Yeah. Right, because that's an ancient sign that Christians would do with their feet to hide the fact that they were Christians mm-hmm. from being persecuted. They would draw an X. Right. And then if the person that they were talking to knew what they were talking about, they would draw the front part of the fish, which would be a sideways V. Right. Okay. Oh, I got you. Okay, I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That was the code of acknowledgement between Christians that had to be hiding out. We're jumping right into the thick of it here because I want to <coughs> get into not only faith as it pertains to this or Christians or any other religion, but maybe Christian because um, I think there might be a link, especially with Matt Johnson's case where he talks a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But um, And where you're at with this here as far as like, the attachment theory that there's a uh, link to the Nephilim, the fallen angel scenarios, or what, what exactly your view is. But before we get there, let's go back. Let's go way back to not only your first encounter, but like childhood. Like when you, when you were growing up, Scott, where was this on your radar? Nowhere. As as nowhere. Because no. you're, a, you're a schooled individual. You're engineered in mind. I have an engineering degree. Yes. Right. So your mind is geared towards hardwired facts. Mm-hmm. This yeah. doesn't exist in that realm. Uh, I mean, really, it's hard to put it in the hard line equation realm. So how did you get there slowly, or did it happen quickly? It happened pretty quickly on my first encounter. Um, going back a little a little before that is uh, while while working at uh, at Boeing mm-hmm. uh, as a tool engineer, um, I had friends there, and um, you know the guys that like to hunt and, and be out in the outdoors, you know they gravitate towards each other, and we mm-hmm. you know share stories and and that kind of thing. And I had uh, one friend that lived over um, in the Purdy area, okay, and he liked to elk hunt over on the east side of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. 
and um, he and his family would go out there and they'd stay for a week and you know put up a camp and they'd hunt and uh, one day was actually opening day he, he was um, walking uphill up a ridge line and he finds in the snow um, these great big footprints you know human looking foot, footprints and so he starts following them well he caught up to it because it evidently wasn't going very fast but he caught up to it and he sees this gigantic butt in front of him because it was you know kind of stooped over and going uphill maybe even on hands and knees and the thing stood up turned around glared at him you know showed its teeth and and growled at him and scared him so bad he ran all the way down the hill and he he spent the whole week in camp he wouldn't come out of camp he was so scared so he told me that story and at that point i hadn't seen one i uh, had no experience um but then I found a newspaper article that had um, the picture, was it Cliff Crook, I believe is his name. Standing in the swamp, looking the up swamp, at the camera. looking up. Right. It was in color, and so I, 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 I thought that was a great picture. If that's a real one, that's a great picture. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if it was real or not. But anyway, I, I cut that out, and I took it to work, and I kind of approached this guy and uh, we were standing um, uh, at, a, at a workbench kind of thing and and I said I got something I want to show you and I want to get your just your gut reaction to it and he goes oh, okay and this is a guy that everybody knew no matter what he would tell you the truth he was not a fibber he didn't play jokes you know he was just straight up honest guy and so I just flipped that photo out in front of him and a guy's knees buckled and he had to catch himself because the emotional impact of seeing what he had seen before, seeing that picture, um, it, it took him by surprise. And he had this unmistakable reaction um, to that picture. And I mm -hmm. thought, yeah, that's what he saw. He really did see one. So now I know, because I know him, okay, they're real. They're out there. I've never seen one, so still had a little bit of you know, agnostic, you know, um, a view of it, you know. But um, then when I had my own encounter, it really drove it home that they're real and turned your whole worldview upside down because now there's right. this great big, it, my thinking at the time, there's this great big monster out there that, that we're so small compared to them, we're defenseless, and they could do anything to us that they wanted to whenever they wanted to, and there's nothing we could do about it. You know, and, and the rifle I held in my hand seemed awful puny and, and mm -hmm. pretty much useless. So um, it's definitely very upsetting. So. so unknowingly, I mean, unknowingly, you have your first really interview with a guy that has, you know, a fresh encounter in his mind at least, and this will come into play just like it did with you this week when you mm -hmm. ended up talking to someone. So is that when you kind of, did you grow fascinated with getting to know people kind of like I did that had encounters and then sought them out? Um, not really until after I had my first encounter. And then I, I went to work that Monday morning. I had it on Saturday, and I went into work on Monday morning, and I was blabbing to everybody about the whole thing. And, you know, I, I got a mixture of reactions from people <laughs> right. all the way from laughter to, mm -hmm. um, oh, well, that, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then 
a few, you know, over the next week, right. people would come up to me privately mm -hmm. and they would say, well, let me tell you what happened to me. Let mm -hmm. me tell you what I saw. And mm -hmm. I found out I had about a half a dozen coworkers who had had, you know, mm -hmm. close up encounters with them. And so that validated my encounter because it was much the same as theirs. And then um, my coping mechanism was to learn as much as I could so you know at lunch break I'm on the internet looking up stories and finding mm -hmm. websites and, and and reading up on as much as I can to, to, to figure out you know what's going on with it listening mm -hmm. to to um, clips of the Sierra sounds and mm -hmm. and and you know, searching for pictures and videos which there isn't much you know there, you know that's that's believable anyway but enough to keep Not your enough. mind yeah. going yeah and then i thought you know what this is this is crazy it's it's kind of uh it's overwhelming me and so i thought i think i'm gonna go on one of those bfro expeditions and and see if i can't get some real answers to this mm -hmm. and so i did and that's kind of where it all started for me. I, and what year was that? That was 2006, August 2006. And okay. I went up in the Cascades. and So your first real attempt at pushing to have an experience, mm -hmm. 2006, with a yeah. large group, small group? There was about 35 people there. Yeah, pretty large. But it, it was so fun because, I, you know, I come into, into camp. As a matter of fact, I didn't know where the camp was. I thought I knew, and, and so I parked out on the road, and then I, I'm hiking the, the very dusty dirt road in. I mean, it's the, that time of year, it's so dusty that that your feet are sinking three or four inches into the dirt. Mm -hmm. And um, a guy stopped and picked me up, and, and he and his wife, and, and drove me into the main base camp. And then once you know, I got acquainted with him, and then I went and got my own vehicle and drove it in. Uh, everybody was so nice. And, you know, I met um, a lot of great people. Mm -hmm. uh, this is right at the beginning of... BFRO it has to be 2006 well, BFRO started in 96 okay but they would do expeditions just one or two a year and Matt Moneymaker would generally organize them and yeah. it became bigger and bigger and pretty soon people in the different you know investigators in the different states are starting to organize them themselves but this one Matt Moneymaker came to so you know I'm I'm there and they mm -hmm. told me you know gave me a little, a little rundown Sasquatch 101 uh Colonel Kevin Jones did that really good. And I got my camp set up, uh, uh, kind of teamed up with another guy, John Ray, who was, it was his first time too. So we were mm -hmm. the newbies, a uh, couple of the newbies anyway, but they're introducing me to people that I didn't know who they were, but it turned mm -hmm. out they were, you know, pretty uh, important people. Um, they would come to be they, kind they, of known. They would, yeah. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> Mel Scahan, he he brought his best buddy Bob Gimlin. And I didn't know who, who I've the heard heck, of that guy. I didn't know who the heck Mel was, but um, I, I did know who Bob Gimlin was. And it's, you know, my gosh, you know, we get right. to sit, listen to the whole story. We sat in a big circle, all of us, and Bob Gimlin talked for about three hours, and he told us details that we'd never read anywhere. And this is before Bob really started hitting the public circuit. I mean, he was still kind yeah, of in the background. Kind of at the beginning of yeah. it, yeah. He was, he was getting validation from his friends who were in the BFRO. Right. And who were going all the time because mm -hmm. they, they, were, they were supporting him, and, um, and he was actually uh, able to have uh, more encounters. Um, mm -hmm. Not that he had any more eyeball sightings, but he, he stood mm -hmm. out and, 
on a road and yelled at one that was yelling at him and 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 you know he tells that with uh, fond memory but okay now earlier i alluded going back to your childhood i still want to go back there before we get into your encounter because i know people want to hear about that i want to hear about that but you know i remember walking through the library and seeing the different books mm -hmm. on the shelf and bigfoot mm -hmm. was always smack dab between esp and Loch Ness Monster and Vampires. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was in the paranormal shelf, mm -hmm. the New Age mm -hmm. shelf, right? The mm -hmm. mystical yeah. shelf. Black magic, Bigfoot, whatever. It was all right there. It's still there. It hadn't changed. It's still in that category. So my frame of reference was that this is probably something connected to that realm just as a young man. But here you are, wired for science. You you had no fascination to go to those areas on the bookshelf or were you what were you into as a kid oh i was into um just being a kid hunting yeah. and fishing outdoorsy uh, guy outdoorsy stuff um, go hunting with your dad go fishing uh, grandpa my grandpa okay. yeah um yeah. my dad was out of the picture but uh when when uh, the family moved back to Oregon, which is where our family is from. Mm -hmm. um, my mom moved us back to be near near her parents, and mm -hmm. um, Grandpa was a fisherman's fisherman, and he loved to hunt deer. Um, and so, you know, what I, area? I, what area of the country is this? They were in Corvallis. Oh, really? My neck yeah, of the woods. Okay. Yeah. Corvallis. And he, right. he, he was a pastor of a church there. Okay. A, a Nazarene church, and then. By the time we moved up there, he had been transferred up to a church in Little Town called Grand Ronde, I which know is that between one. McMinnville and Lincoln City, uh, right in the coast range. There, it's a uh, Indian agency town, uh -huh. and um, but I mean, it was an awesome place for kids to grow up because you could just run and play. There was like two rivers going through there. You could go down there, go fishing anytime you want, wade the rivers, swim the rivers. Right, there was mountains around. You could. You could just run and just be kids. Plus, just north of there, a few miles, was a place called Spirit Mountain. So this is what I was, yeah, Spirit Casino, Spirit Mountain, totally mm -hmm. squatchy area. Very squatchy. <laughs> yeah. Only I didn't have any clue about any of that right. kind of stuff. Um, so. But religious. Your grandfather is, you say, a pastor? He was a pastor, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you grew up in a strong you know, old-fashioned... Oh, yeah. Church Protestant. on Sunday, yeah. church on Sunday night, and church on Wednesday. So where were where were they with things as far as, like, magic or the paranormal? How were you brought up to actually think of things like that? Um, it, it, we were probably just brought up that if it was in the Bible, that's all there was. Right. You know, they're... they're um, be frank, I was too young for it to... Uh, You're good to really influence me that much. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was like, okay, well, you went to Sunday school and you learned all the things they teach you there. And, um, it wasn't until later in life where mm -hmm. I learned more about what the Bible really said mm -hmm. and, you know, was reading it for myself, you know, all the way through, teaching Sunday school um, and that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, it talks in the Bible about, you know, spirits, beings that you can't see, Mm -hmm. um, you know, odd things that, that that would happen, and and you know, angels and and um, a lot of things that people maybe experienced at that time were the same mm -hmm. things that people are experiencing today, and you know, some of it 
kind of Sasquatch related, but we do well, very much Sasquatching for very long, and you're going to start running into things you can't explain that yeah. are not um, the touchy-feely kind of, you know, flesh and blood kind of things that, that mm-hmm. people expect. And you find out that there's more things out there in the dark when you're on night walks than just Sasquatches. So running around the in a squatchy area like that, you never had, looking back, you never, mm-hmm. no rock throwing, no, no stories, no. just like don't, you don't go to that section of the well, woods. Well, that was actually before the Patterson-Gimlin film. Okay. So it wasn't really that well known outside of... Not even California. by the natives there on the land? Or I mean, well, they fr- didn't talk to us. No. no. You didn't have any native friends? No. No. No, they didn't talk to us. Okay. I mean, I knew knew a few guys that were, were native, but my grandma kept saying, stay away from them. <laughs> okay. And their grandmother was saying the same thing, too. Probably, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Stay away from that guy. Yeah. Uh, they're not saying that anymore, though. They're saying, yeah. get close to Scott. But I've since um, talked to several people who had encounters down there who were native, and they had filed reports. Oh, really? And I, I because of it being there, mm-hmm. I, I picked up on those and went, oh, I got to call this guy, and, and, and had some interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in a relatively normal, all-American mm-hmm. home. You brought up your, like... My grandparents basically brought me up kind of mm-hmm. in the same tradition as you were brought up by a single mother. Mm-hmm. But just looking back, there really was no room for any uh, real foundation of there being, and this is what I'm getting at here, as far as like having a religious background, there was no real deep thinking to it. It was just like, this is our cultural religious upbringing and this is kind of what will happen and we'll either be middle of the road or kind of slackers in some areas of it but as far as like real deep fundamental thinking it never was really required was that required in your Mm -hmm. house at all to really think through your spiritual faith no okay no not really um you know my grandfather on my mother's side was a was a pastor and, and until he retired my grandfather on my father's side was a pastor Okay. Um, and actually, it's through that connection that my father and my mother met each other. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the whole world, their whole world was steeped in, in, mm-hmm. in their, their faith and, and uh, their teachings. Um, you know, us kids were just kids. I mean, we were young, really young, you know, nine, ten years old. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Um, Later, we moved away from there, uh, moved up to um, the Hillsborough Forest Grove area, and I went to Forest Grove High School, grade school in the town of Cornelius. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, by then we were we were boys that had gone hunter education, and we were out hunting, you know, every weekend of deer season, and then and and all that. And after I had my first encounter in 2007, and smelled the smell. Okay. That real strong Sasquatch smell. My mind, my memory started coming back as to how many times I had smelled that smell in the Oregon Coast Range while hunting, hiking, shooting, fishing, mm-hmm. doing all those you know things that, that teenagers do, and how many times that they had been close by me, and I never knew it. Because the smell them like that, they're pretty close. Okay. So so they had been around me the whole time, and I just never knew it. And I don't know. Maybe they're keeping an eye on me. I don't. I don't know. I 
I have dealt with a number of witnesses who seemed like they were tagged, and they had memories tagged or marked or marked or something right and they had memories of being taken by hairy people uh when they were toddlers and taken all out you know out of their their window and then brought back uh, before morning and um and they've had sasquatch interaction their entire life and um it's like no matter where they went, they were followed or reconnected somehow. Mm-hmm. And you and still believe that today, that there is kind of a tagging or a mark of individuals, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems. And, and here's the odd thing. That with this this uh, one woman we were talking to, Susan and I went and interviewed her. Um, her husband was, uh, he was still in the military at the time, and he was kind of aloof. He didn't really want to talk to us. So we ended up talking to her and her mother and her sister, right? And talked for a couple hours and found out a lot about what had happened through their lives. And so this woman had had this connection with Sasquatches her whole life. And then I went back and talked to the husband one-on-one extensively because they had moved from the, the place where they were in Olympia where they had the first encounter that kind of got us there. Uh, they moved out to Yelm, and they had more stuff going on right. out there, including one that came and just walked boldly through their yard and made kind of a little loop in front of them, um, you know, walked through the yard, kind of turned left, walked back out to the road, and then came back around to where he started, and real good, solid eyeball sighting of this thing. And so I went back, and... Um, the husband was home and the kids were there she mm-hmm. was gone which that was actually good because I could talk to him and um, mm-hmm. it turned out he'd had interactions since he was a kid and he grew up in that area you know the Yelm area and outdoorsy kid hunting and fishing and all that but he'd been seeing them his whole life so it was like he was tagged too so these two tagged people get together mm. let's talk about you getting tagged Let's go back to 2007, right? 2005. 2005. This is okay. So That's you went on the first encounter. You went on the expedition after you had your encounter. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. you. So, so all right. One take us the, through that day. So one of the odd things about that first encounter is it was so terrifying and um, world view upsetting. You know just totally turns your worldview on its end. Um, and it, while I was scared, I, I, I felt that there was this strange connection that was made as why do I want to seek them out? Why, why do I want to learn more about them? Um, which is why I, you know, I started reading everything I could read and then I, going on the expeditions and then becoming an investigator and learning more and more and more. Um, But there's a connection there. And then I find out later that um, they're all connected to each other. And so when you have a close-up encounter, that connectedness that they have between themselves, I believe, uh, transfers to a human. 
and we're connected then with them, and it's kind of like forever. Okay. So I would never, even though I was afraid of what I encountered that first time, um, I never want to live in a place where they don't live. It's like my life would not be complete without having them around. It's 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 kind of an odd feeling that you have to experience. I know exactly yourself. what you mean. I mean, it's it's been a struggle for me too, uh, with the absence of them around as much as they were in Cottage Grove. Uh, so I know mm-hmm. what you mean. Once you experience this kind of weird cat and mouse relationship, it's like oh, you it's totally different than a sighting, the interaction oh, yeah. part. But yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So. Um, you know, over, over time, you you realize that that connection is there, and then you kind of try to hope, hope to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. And and you know, that's that for me, that's the long term goal. It's about um, getting to a place where regular interaction with them is uh, routine, and mm-hmm. um, and finding out by sitting there with them, talking to them, mm-hmm. what it's all about. You know, tell me a story, Mr. Bigfoot, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> right. You know, where did you come from? Where, you know, people are telling this story and that story about, you know, your origins and our origins. Uh, tell me what you know and, and, and get them to tell me themselves. All right. Take, walk us through 2005. So that was, uh, it was... Uh, October 20th, 2005, it was um, black-tail deer season in western Washington, and myself and girlfriend at the time uh, went over to the Wainucci Valley, and there was a, a place I liked over there. Uh, you had to park at the gate and hike in, and it was about a mile and a half hike in, and there was this clear cut that uh, a few years old, so the trees were pretty small, the replanted trees were pretty small, but the nice thing was you could see a long ways. And found this great big old growth stump that probably was five feet across and um, just kind of snuggled back up against that using it, you know, as like a chair almost sitting back against it and just watching the clear cut. And we sat there all day long and then towards uh, evening um, here in Washington State, um, there's tables about what time shooting hours start and what time shooting hours end. Uh, roughly it's a half hour before sunset and a half hour after sunset but um, I don't know where the reference point of that is because when the when the end of shooting time came it was still light uh, it was twilight but it you know you didn't need a flashlight or anything um, but so we got up and we packed up our stuff and um, you know put our packs back together and and unloaded our rifles and and just started walking out. We had to walk about 50 yards out of the clear cut to the road, and then we started walking the road. And not long after we got to the the logging road, I noticed off to the left-hand side was a log, small log, about 10 inches diameter laying there. And on top of that log were several little piles of stones about stacked about three high. Um, And I I thought, that's kind of strange. What, who's got time to waste stacking stones out here and didn't think much of it other than well, that's just odd so we kept walking and we probably walked about maybe 300 yards and 
and it, the timber is big. It's second growth timber, but the trees are four feet thick. And um, it was prime for being relogged. Anyway, we're walking along and, and off to our left, we're walking north. And so off to our left, um, the sun is setting and, it, and so you're getting these almost horizontal light rays through the, through the trees. And off to our left, down the hill a little bit, was a, there was a creek down there. We're basically paralleling the creek. And we walked into this wall of stink. It smelled like burning baby diapers, and it was really nasty. And I remember stopping and thinking to myself, who's burning their garbage out here? And I thought, well, no, there's no place to camp out here. This is private timber company land. You're not allowed to camp here. And, you know, I looked at, at um, my girlfriend, and, and we didn't say a word. And we just kind of looked around and then just kept on walking. And we walked maybe another half a mile, and we reached a, a basically a T intersection. And we had to turn left there to head out towards the gate. And about 100 yards after that intersection, the road crosses a creek, and there's a big culvert there. And on the north side of the road, it's kind of like a pond. And the south side of the road, it's just like a creek running down. And she said... She looked off down in the gloom because it's starting to get dark, and she says, what the, you know, blank is that down there? And I heard sticks popping, and there was this hulking thing down in there, kind of swaying back and forth, but I couldn't clearly see what it was. And I just passed it off as, oh, maybe it's a bear or something. Let's keep walking. And, you know, at this point, I hadn't put two and two together as so what was going on. And we walked maybe another 200 yards, kind of turned, made a, followed the road that made a curve, and we got out of sight of that place. And evidently what was down there, um, that big hulking thing had walked up onto the road. And it vocalized. And at the first call, it caught my attention, and I, I told her, hush, be quiet. And we listened. And it called four more times, a beautiful, perfect pitch, woo-hoo, melodious, extremely loud um, and my mind's going thinking about all the animals out there to make sounds and it wasn't any of those and so suddenly all everything came together the smell the thing the sounds I went that can only be a Sasquatch let's get the hell out of here and we took off walking as quick as we could but it wasn't scary or anything until that point we got that realization of what it was and took off got to the truck, headed home. I got online, I found, uh, started searching for audio recordings, and I found the, uh, the Puyallup scream of 1973. And it was a different call, but the same voice. And I've since talked to Jay, who recorded that, and gotten the, the deeper story behind the, the, the Puyallup scream, which is the real deal, by the way, folks. Um, yeah, just YouTube it if you haven't heard yeah. it. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot more detail to that than just what you hear on the release recording. Um, a lot more to that story. So has he ever? Just real quick as a sidebar, has he ever been properly interviewed? The guy that recorded those screens. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to talk to him. Yeah, he'd be a great guy to talk. Yeah, to. he's got some. Great... Is he still local? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right, yeah, go ahead. I can give you his his real name. Yeah. Um, off the record yeah but um 
So yeah, that cemented in my mind that yeah, they were real uh, at that point having that encounter, and that's kind of where it all started for me for real. Okay, so as far as that day goes, you kind of just wandered into an area where you kind of have a parallel. Was it paralleling you in the creek? I think it was just going along the same direction we were going. Just mm-hmm. happened to be going. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I suspect that it had probably spent part of the day sitting there watching us because they maybe like stacking watch. rocks. <laughs> they like to yeah, walk, right. to watch people. So yeah. he'd been watching us, and when we started to move, he just was curious about what we were doing uh-huh. and just kind of followed along with us. There was nothing threatening, no bad uh-huh. vibe, you know, n- nothing at all. We weren't running for our lives or uh-huh. anything like that. Um, you know, it was just a pleasant walk out, and then you know we heard the vocalizations and and, and kind of put it all together as well. Yeah, in the area you and described, that's when it really became um, upsetting. Wainucci's totally known for oh yeah uh, all of this there, mm-hmm. especially one side more than the other. And I won't give that part away, but I imagine you were probably on the right side of Wainucci to experience that because I know mm-hmm. that there seems to be a dead side to Wainucci and a live side. Um, okay. So that was 2005, but nothing that really told you that this belongs on that area of the bookshelf where we early described this was a flesh and blood encounter with something that was real physical. It showed physical aspects to it. Uh Okay. And then I met you around 2010, 2011-ish. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I remember you coming out to Camp White Branch. Yep. And you opened up your frozen mice, your little tiny oh, yeah, yeah. leaf-covered mice, which I imagine Grass. might still be somewhere in the pro- downstairs. <laughs> okay, I know. Yeah. I was hoping so. Maybe we can get a visual later. Um, when you broke those mice, and here I am having, you know, I'm a new guy, totally green, and here I'm. The second one's all paranormal. That's Matt Johnson showing up mm-hmm. for the first time, mm-hmm. not even going woo. He didn't go woo till he was after talking that. about PTSD and yeah. Sasquatch encounters. Right. He was not fully Zorth yet. Nope. He went Zorth after this conference via yeah. Tom Powell. Mm-hmm. But you come along and you break out these mice and describe to people. Because th- for me, this was a real transition point, seeing what you had in your hand, saying, okay, now wait a second. This is a decoration. This is some kind of... Uh, you know, f- deep forethought into uh, crafts. Like there, there's craftsmanship here, even though it's so mm-hmm. weird. But describe to the audience what you have in your freezer. So I have um, ten little gift-wrapped mice, all wrapped up in um, uh, grass, and they're like little mummies, and uh, it's all tied together with a with a knot made made out of pieces of grass and um they're kind of like all flattened out right now i've had them in my freezer for oh gosh more than about 10 years yeah but um, they got almost like little they look like jackets like little tiny leaf straight well, jackets yeah. on it with little twig belts is that right well they're all completely covered you, you okay you had to take one apart to tell what was in it gotcha and it wasn't all mice it was parts of mice too Oh. arms and legs and that kind of thing. But um, those were a gift um, to the witness that uh, we're still friends with and see um, several times a year um, down on the Napa Vine site. And um, 
they had been leaving apples in a bag um, hung about 10 feet up in a tree and um, the apples would be taken but never all of them mm-hmm. they always left some and um, the uh, the mice were left as as a an exchange uh, because the mice were left right where the apples were and uh, the, the, the woman was out there uh, walking the trails with one of her girlfriends who had come over to visit when they found the, uh, the, the mice. And the odd thing was, though, um, the Sasquatch was right there at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't see it, but um, the, her two dogs, two at the time, she had originally had three, but the two of them that were still alive at that time were not liked by those Sasquatches. And um, it probably had something to do with their aggression. Uh, they were protecting her. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, the dogs were upset because the Sasquatches were there, and they, and they, could, they could detect them. Uh, the people weren't cognizant yet that they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she reached down to um, pat one on the head to reassure it that everything was okay and happened to put her hand on its head at the same moment a rock aimed right at that dog's head hit her hand oh her hand open never heard this story and um so anyway the the girlfriend became i guess pretty upset about everything going on and anyway they picked up the little mice and and um, put them on a little piece of cardboard and and uh, put them in a big ziploc and put them in the freezer and called me and i went out there as soon as i could to, to see them and, and get them and how uh, soon after or before 2011 or 2012 was that that you came to camp white branch and you collected those mice was that a period of years or months that was, that you'd uh, had them probably about a year okay and so the community kind of knew that you had these because as far as well, unique yeah, items so i put it in in the report that i wrote up it was the uh, that bfro report is pretty long and had mm-hmm. has a lot of pictures i don't know if the pictures are still attached or not because they had a server crash and mm-hmm. the links but um that was part of it because um, it was ongoing and it was it was pretty intense for a while now it's, now it's all still ongoing but it's all routine Right. You know, it's just the neighbors. So we skipped a chunk of time. You have your initial sighting. You start looking up things after 2005, slowly pushing your way into the other witnesses to so after, m- meet other people, and then you start yeah. interviewing. So get, um, after the 2006 expedition, mm-hmm. a bunch of us that were new on the expedition started networking and going out and doing stuff just together. Mm-hmm. And then some of the very experienced BFRO investigators in the state watched what we were doing. Sasquatch doing a rooster call on his back here. (laughs) They watched what we were doing and, and, um, they said, Hey, uh, you want to be an investigator? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, so, um, got set up, um, access to, uh, Mm -hmm. flats, the, the, the side that, that the, uh, public can't see where the reports come into and then these are your secret bfro reports this is the, the 65,000 <laughs> plus reports that right. are in there yes right um 
Yeah, and I just started pulling reports and following up on them and investigating them and yeah. writing the report up of, of what happened. And, you know, some of the first ones were really good ones, you know, and uh, the, there's good ones in there right now that haven't even been touched. Um, we're around to like a thousand behind. Um, mm -hmm. There's too many coming. I want to get back to the flats too, even though I've already asked you at Tom Cantrell's deal about the flats. I think it's important to at least address this question one more time because only a few people really know what you're talking about. We're we're speaking extreme nerd right now, but the flats are basically the precursor to an actual report before an investigation's done, before a write-up's done by a BFRO investigation like yourself, an investigator like yourself. There is a place where these reports just rest. And you're saying there's how many? There's over 65,000 of them. Just sitting there. I mean, that's that nationwide. Have, that's okay. nationwide. That have not been actually looked into? Well, everything that has ever come in to the BFRO website is there, whether it's been investigated okay. or not. Okay, it's got all you. Still there. Okay. That's where the, the resident data is. What people see published, if they go on the BFRO website and look for reports recently published, those are the ones that have been investigated, written up, and published. But that's only a small fraction of what's in that database. Okay, well, let's just ask, how many are really weird? And is there a percentage of BFRO, would you get in trouble for saying this, first of all, is there a percentage of reports that will never make it on the BFRO website because they're just too weird? Everything that somebody reports is there, okay. as far as I know. Um, there are some that read very strangely that people mm -hmm. look at that and they go, I don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's worth dealing with it. Or these people don't sound credible. They sound mm -hmm. more crazy or they sound like hoaxers. Right. I mean, kids write reports in there and you, you can pick up on that. Um, you know, that they're just a bunch of kids having some fun. Yeah. Um, because they're talking about crazy things that, doing crazy things that that's people really easy, don't yeah, do. Yeah, you're easy to smell those ones yeah. out, ferret those ones. But the ones that talk about, and this is where we're going to, well, let's head down this path here. The ones that talk about the lights in particular, which I think is really the first clue that there's something else going on here. The lights. It, yes. In... The lights in the woods. The the lights in the woods. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. seeing seeing the lights in the woods, precursor to... Bigfoot activity seems to be the gateway into the other stuff that's about to happen. Would you agree with that? Well, yes, but the people who are submitting reports are just now having, you know, as they submit that report, are just now having the realization that these creatures exist. Right. So... They may not They're, include. They don't know anything about the, mm -hmm. what people call the woo. So you won't generally see any of that in there. Now, some people have said, well, somebody goes in and they just delete all those reports. I don't know that to be true. I don't think it's true. Mm -hmm. I think there, there's a lot of reports that are just never followed up on because mm -hmm. maybe they're maybe a little bit that way, but it doesn't make sense for... Um, from the standpoint of somebody looking into a report where somebody's actually just seen a, right. a, a Bigfoot. 
where you find out these other aspects of it, the, the woo stuff, is when you have years and years of experience and you have spent a lot of time, like in habituation sites or on expeditions or your own research site, and this weird stuff starts to happen and you experience it for yourself. And then you start running into other people who are experiencing the same kind of things. You start mm -hmm. comparing notes and going, hmm, there's something to this. But for what people, what the public sends in, it's not any part of that. Okay. Because they don't, they're they don't know to make that connection. Gotcha. They don't, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. It's not like I they, mean, right, they're not doing a forensic example of the whole day. It is like, hey, there was a weird smell. I don't know if this is of interest to you, but there was a weird smell over in the Olympic Peninsula. They may have saw the lights or not, but not known to connect the dots. Right. That's two different phenomena. Basically, what people report is they hear something mm -hmm. or they see something. Mm -hmm. That's all. Okay. They they don't report. What do they What do they report more, hear or see? More hear. I hear wood knocks, I hear whoops, I hear chatter, mm -hmm. um, I hear screams, mm -hmm. you know, screams can be mistaken, you know, barred owls sound, you know, barred owls can sound like monkeys. Susan and I uh, were watching a barred owl through a thermal and it was making the monkey calls. No, refrigerator. Oh, okay. Uh, it was making the monkey calls. Wood knock. And a, a, and that I was a fridge see, knock. <laughs> yeah. I could see how people could mistake some of that kind of natural sounds for a Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, but my experience, probably two-thirds to three-quarters of what's in there is legit, um, is really Bigfoot-related. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, but it's, some of it's useful, some of it's not, some of it's, uh, my grandpa had a report or my grandpa had an experience back in 1963 and told us kids about it, and now they're reporting it in the year, you know, right, you know, 2017 or something like that. Well, what do you do with that? You know, there's nothing much you can do with with that, and there's a lot of that kind of thing in there. So you know, the really good stuff is the stuff that happened yesterday, and you call them up and find out what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So the transition point for you, as far as having. An initial encounter now you're researching it now you're investigating are you doing retreats too are you like taking out uh, people after 2010 11 are you leading teams of bfro folks so um between 2000 and probably well when i got into it in 2006 to about 2012 uh, the washington bfro group was a was a big happy bunch um, there were probably 20 or 30 people who were actively doing stuff. And then some things happened that kind of destroyed trust amongst people and you didn't know who you could trust and who you couldn't trust. Um, some people had some double crosses done to them. Um, uh, we were starting to experience, um, on the expeditions, we were starting to experience the lights. Um, and by lights, explain the, what you mean. Okay, the the you're you're out there camping and everybody's sitting around and you know in, in the camp and and all of a sudden you see the tops of the trees light up, you know, like a big flash. And you're going, what was that? Or you're you're seeing 
little pinpoints of light like a like an LED flashlight but they're 40 feet up a tree and you know you kind of know where where it's at and then the next morning you get up and you go no that was 40 feet up a tree that wasn't on the hillside um, people are seeing that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, people were were seeing um, actually seeing Sasquatches through night vision good gen 3 night vision seeing the Sasquatches standing on the road in front of them and then seeing the orbs come floating along and and fly around people um, so we're starting to experience some of that stuff there's one place we called uh, the Twilight Camp Twilight Zone Camp because people in their tents would have the little blue lights come floating through the fabric of their tent and then mm-hmm. out the other side and just weird stuff going on hearing strange sounds like being in the middle of nowhere and hearing what sounds like a car door open and close so and you good. know there's no car there because mm-hmm. you had to go through past a gate that's locked and hike in two miles to where you're at there's no car there but you hear the sound of a car door weird stuff like that you know uh, metallic banging um, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere and you're going, what is that? So there's lots of weird stuff that starts happening that people start experiencing. So they were comparing notes and, and talking about it and there were some people who couldn't take it and they decided that it was under their authority to persecute those people and oh. shut them up because they were ruining the reputation, the scientific reputation of the BFRO. So what, now, but at this point, you're still at Boeing as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is your engineer mind trying to figure out how this is explainable, or is your religious mind trying to figure out how this is supernatural? Well, or both. A little bit of both, but if you if you think about astronomy and physics. And, and those subjects, even engineering. Engineering has to do with a lot of computations of how matter behaves, beams, that kind of thing, uh, structures. You can't hardly, you, you can't see it all the time. You know, you, you get a beam that bends. You, you can't always see it bend. Mm-hmm. It's under strain and you can measure it with a strain gauge, that kind of thing. But there's things going on that is not something you can see, something you can touch, something you can feel, something you can smell, or all of our senses. It's more than that. It's scientific. And you realize there's things going on in the world that are just beyond our normal comprehension. That doesn't mean that they're not there. Quantum physics is beyond most people's normal comprehension, but it's still there physicists understand it the whole idea I remember as, as, a, as a young man the whole idea of black holes was theoretical only their their computations told them that they had to exist but nobody had proven that they exist today black holes are given yeah black holes are at the center of every galaxy they're the engine that runs the galaxy um, you know it's it's a normal thing but it's something that at one time was theoretical and people couldn't get their arms around it quite. And now 
Everybody knows it. So there's things like that going on out there in the world that we modern humans are just not really equipped to understand yet. But a little bit of study and... Um, yeah, but Scott, this is contaminating out. your world of research. A lot of people would see this as like, oh, no, I can't see those lights in my Bigfoot area. Even if I can explain them, I don't want to have to explain them. Did you feel like it was kind of a downer? I've heard this before from other people, especially people that are, you know, mathematically inclined or mm -hmm. science inclined. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, no, I don't want it to be that. Was there a part of you that wanted to ignore it? No. Really? You gravitated towards it? I just accepted it. One, one of the things that I learned doing this, doing Bigfoot research, is you're going to be faced with reports of things that happened, behaviors that happened, mm -hmm. events that happened that you can't explain. You've never experienced it. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. But I was raised to be polite and not put people down, call them crazy or anything. I mean, I thought that's pretty crazy sounding, but I kept that to myself. <laughs> and what I learned over time was these weird things in time would be explained. They would, you just give it time. Just mm -hmm. take that little, that little nugget of information, put it in the back of your mind, remember it, and just go on about your business, go on about your life, keep researching, and it's going to be validated or not or proved to not be right. valid. Most of the time, those weird things people were telling you about were validated. And would you say that the lights are kind of at the top of that list? Sure. Okay. And sure. that's why I brought that up in the beginning with the BFRO flats and whatnot, because that was my first experience. I think it's a lot of people's first experience. But like you said, how are they connected? It's just like, yeah, I saw weird lights, but what do you mean? I had a Bigfoot encounter. It's not even related, right? Oh. Well, there's a major sign it is. Uh, we're getting a lot of wood knocks around here. Post-4th of July love. Um, okay, so y people are seeing this actively, and then there's this character assassination technique, which is just small men that don't want to deal with it. Right. They're, they're, they're terribly threatened by the whole idea. The small women, too, that don't want to deal yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah people. Okay people in general who's they are so set in their worldview mm -hmm. uh, they have put Sasquatch um, the Sasquatch subject into a box mm -hmm. they put boundaries with that box and anything that falls out of their preconceived idea of what that box is has to be discounted because it's a small box and when I say small mm -hmm. I don't mean small brain I mean it's a small worldview or just like right. very it, narrow yes very narrow but Sasquatches don't fit in anybody's box. <laughs> like but that. as soon as you close your mind mm -hmm. and say, this is, this is what they are, and they are this, and they are no more, mm -hmm. well, then you're done learning because you're not going to accept the things that they're teaching us. Okay. And they I... teach us things by experiencing things that happen doing research with them. Okay, so this the idea that they are teachers of some kind is going to be a big leap for most of the people that are engineer mind, but yet you're an engineer and mm -hmm. you're using these words, teach us things. So really when you're doing Sasquatch research, we're not doing so much research as we're doing intelligence gathering. Mm -hmm. 
we're finding out what people are experiencing and looking at the correlation from place to place and time to time of the same behaviors that happen over and over and over again. So if, if a person is living up in northern Washington out in a rural area and they're having Sasquatch interaction, you'll see the same behaviors there as somebody who's having, this, having interaction down in southern Oregon. They do the same kinds of things. An example, at a place over in the Wainuchi Valley that, that we were researching, uh, we were going out there and leaving gifting sites and we were putting peanut butter, apples, corn, um, all kinds of goodies out there, put it on a stump out of sight of the road. You, you really had to know where it was to go, even put stuffed animals, that kind of thing out there. And we went back after a couple of weeks and, and looked at the site, photographed everything, and the peanut butter jar had a hole punched in the top. And we looked at that and we thought, that's really weird. How did that hole get punched in the top? But then when we looked inside, it looked like it had been pecked by a bird inside. The peanut butter had been, you know, look, that's, that's what I thought, yeah. was a bird was sticking his head through the little hole and pecking at the peanut butter, eating the peanut butter. Well, then Matt Johnson was uh, trying the same kind of thing down at his site down by Grants Pass, only he figured it out. They were punching a hole through the top with their thumb or something, and they were taking a stick and putting it through the hole and getting the peanut butter on the stick and then licking the peanut butter off the stick, and that's how they were doing it. So here you have two sites 400 miles apart, mm -hmm. same behavior. Okay. Doing it the same way. And this is just like the monkeys do with termites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And monkey's yeah. not a derogatory term. We're just drawing a link. So for the use of the word people, we don't know yet. We're using the word monkey and people synonymous together. Uh, I go to but, people. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you go to people. You also go to teaching. And now am I there with those words yet? I don't know. We let the car pass. I don't know what we're dealing with. I just don't know. I want to know. I want to know. I want to feel confident like you. I feel like I, I know now that there is a supernatural link. I don't know why. I don't know if it's all them. But Dr. J, Dr. J does. Mm -hmm. And I've never spoken about him before on the show. But you feel as though eventually his work... And his time at Soa, Soya, Waha, Wahoo, all of these sites, all of these sites, Zorth, <laughs> the whole kit and caboodle, that one day there will be some kind of reckoning where his research will be known to be true. And we brought up an earlier example of how that may be by another witness that kind of verified what you knew. Mm. Um, why do you feel that way? So, you know, originally when I started into um, doing Bigfoot research, mm -hmm. it was to, you know, early, early on everybody's wanting to prove it. Mm -hmm. Well, after a while, you prove it to yourself, and that's, good, right. and that's good enough. And then you want to know who are they, what, what, what kind of creature are they, are they people, are they an animal, what, what are they? And you just want to learn and you want to keep finding out you know more and more 
and and that's why you do it not to prove anything but another reason you do it is to help people who are having encounters and who are having trouble dealing with it um, by explaining it you take away a lot of their fears and uh, give them validation and and make it all okay mm-hmm. and who have experienced that kind of thing they're, they're not crazy um, so there's that aspect so you're kind of like a counselor on one one side but at the same time from all these different people and all these different cases you're learning new things and it's 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 like putting a great big million piece puzzle together and pretty soon you start to see what the image is on the puzzle and you mm-hmm. get an idea of, of what they're all about and what they're doing and it's a lot more than just some big old dumb wood ape out there in the woods yeah, yeah. and you're um, you're coming up with things not just aside from other people that are writing books and other researchers you have your own areas that you're utilizing right. to add these pieces to the puzzle here and one of them um, was the Scrabble piece. Uh, can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah, okay. Sasquatch Scrabble. Cool. So that <laughs> wasn't my Scrabble idea. Pieces. Okay, that, but that. I coined the, the yeah. Taylor technique. I can't call it that. No. It, it, it was not my idea. Okay. That was thought up by a witness Okay. who was having a lot of interaction, and he was trying all kinds of things. So he it was, was his idea. It was his idea. Okay. He was doing things like taking a whiteboard and markers, and yeah. he'd draw some pictures, and then he'd leave that out there for them to see if they drew anything. Um, they were they were doing a lot of work with glyphs, mm-hmm. and and he was he had this idea that um, their glyphs were actually equivalent to ancient Hebrew writing before the Hebrews had an alphabet, like Aramaic. And, um, Is this earlier than that? Okay, and uh, and it seemed like the. The glyphs that we were seeing, if, if, you, if you took the illustration of the symbol and the meaning of the symbol from, he, got, he, got the, he found a diagram online about ancient, ancient Hebrew signs, mm-hmm. um, and there was a correlation. There seemed to be a correlation. The way they were used was in the right context of the meaning of those signs. Uh, example of, of one, one glyph, it means a border or boundary well the way they were placed it was like yeah this is your place and this is our place on our side you know your side my side your side my side anyway uh but so he was going that down that track and then he thought well let's play sasquatch scrabble so he got his scrabble tiles out and he arranged them in a, a a a through z and left them out there. Well, they rearranged them. And they rearranged them in a way that had meaning. And you could look at it, you know, the brain can look at, look at stuff and see the patterns and kind of pick up on the meaning. You know, you, you've all seen these things at Facebook and other places where they have phrases that are written with every single word misspelled and, and numbers for letters and, word, and letters upside down, and your mind can still read it and figure out what it says. So mm-hmm. anyway, so... They rearranged the tiles, and we could kind of get the message. And basically, they were saying, we want to speak through you. They used the guy's name. We want to speak through you. So we got that. And um, so then he says, okay, I'm going to put the tiles back 
just like I, I started, A through Z, all in a row. They rearranged them exactly the same the next night. So, you know, they did it twice, exactly the same. Now, were they spelling that in this ancient language and you had to translate no, it? No, it was, it, was, um, it was like using the first letter of words. But the way it was arranged, you could get the idea what they were talking about. So it was phonetic, like you'd have yeah. to kind mm -hmm. of sound it out. Almost, yeah, almost okay. like that. Okay, okay. And this is the technique that we used out at the Al Moon Lab. Mm -hmm. And to worked. our surprise, <laughs> they used letters. I mean, they used numbers as letters because we ran mm -hmm. out of letters. Mm -hmm. And when you bypass the point of ruling out a hoax. When you're past that, like, okay, we're no longer ruling out hoaxes here. We know something fishy is going on. Right. And something communicates directly back to you. It becomes personal. It because does. now you have a dialogue with, mm -hmm. with them. And that's where, it, that's where it's at. That's what you're trying to get. It's not getting that million-dollar picture. No. It's okay. having that personal relationship with these beings, whatever they are. Let's talk about that because I feel like that's really the turning point of this conversation here. And this will come back again to spirituality um, and this connection to the others, them. The idea that you can somehow bypass your ego and get away from collecting evidence and proving this to your buddies is a tough one still for me. It's still tough. But I'm, I admit it. I openly admit it's tough. And I think that's maybe the turning point to maybe getting rid of it. I don't know if I'll ever be able to. Um, but when uh, when did you pass that? And what was it? Are, have you? It's gradual. <laughs> okay. It's gradual. Um, and you take a lot of flack along the way. And pretty soon you learn you don't talk to this person because they're going to give you a tough time. And you, you learn who you can talk to. They're... You know, there are people around who have experienced a lot more than I've experienced and know a lot more than I know. And I'm still learning, and I'll always be learning. Um, they're, they're teaching new things all the time. But it's not about proving that they exist or not. After a while, you know they exist because mm -hmm. you've seen them. You know, it's like Bobo says, you're a knower, not a believer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, once you know they exist, well, where, where do you go with that? And you just mm -hmm. go, well, you know, just say, oh, that's all there is. You know, I've proven that they exist. Okay, I'm good, you know. Mm -hmm. Or do you go, well, okay, now that I know that they exist, I want to know who are, who are they, what are they, what do they do, um, what abilities do they have? Because you're finding out that they do these strange things like mind speak. You know, a lot of people can't tolerate the idea that mm -hmm. telepathy exists. But then you think, well, how do a flock of birds fly in unison? They're not sitting there planning out, making diagrams and all that. They're somehow communicating to each other. You know, how, how, do, the, uh, how, do, how do fish in a school swim in a school in perfect synchronization? Mm -hmm. Is it they're not planning it out? They're not rationally thinking, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to swim this way for so long, and then we're mm -hmm. going to make an abrupt left turn, and we're going to go this way for a little bit, and then we're going to make a right turn and go this mm -hmm. way. No, they're all interconnected to each other through some sort of communication 
mm-hmm. that they all just intuitively know, but they are connected to each other. They are communicating, not necessarily with words, but through some mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's not a thing that is rare out in the world. It's kind of normal. And, and you know, people that know how to work with dogs say, if you want a dog to get what you want it to do, you got to think in the form of an image. Well, there are people that have been, basically call it like almost like a mind probe. They're showing, they see a slideshow of their lives. Mm-hmm. But it's the Sasquatch doing it and reading their memories. And so they're seeing this slideshow. And I heard about it from a number of different people who did not know each other. And I went, oh, there is something to this because it's being reported in different places by people who actually experienced it, not by people that said, well, I heard of somebody who experienced No, I talked to people who actually had it happen. And it was the same thing. And so when it happens in a bunch of different places to independent people, Mm. there's something to it. so where are we going with this? You you find out that there's a lot more going on than you think. It's it's it's. Uh, um. Do they need a spokesman? I mean, we talked about them communicating ideas through you, and that's what they said to this guy on the Scrabble board. Mm-hmm. Do they need a spokesperson, and what's their message? I mean, who's the best person to speak on their behalf, and what is the message? Well, I would say um, get Dr. Jay's book. Okay. Uh, it's 50-year journey come full circle. Okay. Um, he explains it really well. Um, so you feel like that's the best spokesperson that we have mm-hmm, right now speaking on their behalf? Mm-hmm. Well, they don't need anybody to speak on their behalf. They don't need us for anything. Okay. But they said they did in the Scrabble piece, right? Well, they said that they would speak to that individual. Okay, we want you to... Yeah, that they would talk to him. Because there are some people who who get it, and there are some people mm-hmm. who don't. And it, it's like a talent. It's an mm-hmm. ability. Um, I found through doing um, you know, a lot of Bigfooting expeditions and research and, and, and report follows-up, that there are some people, generally women who are very sensitive, and they get it. They hear them, mm-hmm. okay? Um, us guys are pretty darn d- dense. We just usually, we don't get it very easily. Mm-hmm. Now, I did hear them tell me once very clearly to put the camera away, which I did. And the woman next to me looked over at me and said, what did you just hear? <laughs> because there was no voice spoken out loud and I said they told me to put the camera away and she said I heard it too so the women pick up on it more often than the guys do mm-hmm. I had this I, I had witnesses female witnesses who were reporting really weird stuff when I was first getting into this and it was some of the woo woo stuff that I wasn't ready to understand at the time it took a while but it was the women who were picking up on this um, and you know, I find out that also that there's people who can see a wider visual spectrum mm-hmm. than a normal average person. 
they can see some people mm-hmm. can see people's auras um, you know you know to most people the idea of an aura is like oh well that's impossible but then we can photograph it they have ways of photographing and you can see people's auras I know my dog can tell my my mood by looking at my aura and when I'm in a bad mood I don't have to say anything to that dog and she's hiding you know and I'm not doing anything at her at all it's just I've had a bad day at work or you know the, the traffic is just set me off getting getting home and I'm just fit to be tied and I'm fuming. Well, that, my dog can tell that without a word. They see it somehow. So there are there's more going on out there than we humans generally can perceive. Mm-hmm. There's there's visual things going on there. For example, how do two crows know which one is the boy and which one's the girl? They all look alike to us, right? They're black. They look identical. How do they know? Two mated geese. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're together for life until one dies. Mm-hmm. They both look the same. How do they tell? How do they know? Well, science has figured out that if you, if you can see the way they see, they see different things than we see. They see differences that we can't see because our eyes are limited and our brain is limited in what we can perceive. They see it differently. So to them, it's obvious. But to us, it's not. But that doesn't mean it's not real. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, I think our human limitations is, is our biggest impediment to understanding what these things are because uh, we're not used to seeing things that are on the fringes of our visual spectrum. Uh, we're not used to seeing our... Um, perceiving communication through, you know, uh, mind speak or telepathy or mental images. We're just not used to that. But there are some people who have gotten it and they're good at it. They've, they've learned how to do it. Well, I mean, even by you being on this podcast, I mean, you in a way are a conduit for their message. I mean, not specifically you're delivering an individual's message, but I mean, you did come on here to talk about them in a way that's very unique. I, I totally agree with you that there's this unique quality of interacting with people to deliver them some kind of message, but the specifics of what Dr. J says are very different than what anybody else has said. And then he risked a lot by writing so he many sp- specifics on there. Mm-hmm. And it turned a lot of people off, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. But yet... I'll just say, for the record, any guy that travels as far as he traveled to go research an area once a month for days at a time in the snow and ice experienced something. Mm-hmm. And you've been to that place. Yeah, and I've, I've been, been there. To that Su- place. Susan and I have been there. They actually did a little right. work on Susan while we were there. Oh, um, work. Okay, so energy they, work. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. uh, healing like Reiki. going on. My, my aunt, yeah. she went down there. She badgered Dr. J until... Until uh, he took her down there, and uh, she had some very unique experiences um, uh, working on her uh, her leg from the foot to the knee, and right uh, was you know right at the edge of what she could tolerate as far as you know being touched and that kind of thing. But um, uh, when we went down there, the the they were there right from the get go, and mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were you know cloaked 
course, mm -hmm. but you could tell they were there and you could hear them, you could hear their footsteps, you could hear it when they moved stuff and moved things around and played mm -hmm. with the pots and pans and, and, and about tripping over their feet as soon as a light came on unexpectedly. Um, it was all fun, but it was all real. Yes, real, but, and, and this is the point of like being delicate with a man's work and also taking on the fact that there's an interpretation of a man's work too. And so to have that interpretation from something that loves this cat and mouse game, how do we really gain the trust of the information? Because what better way for me to lead you astray than to tell you a bunch of crap? So what, I mean, how do we verify the source since they love this cat and mouse game. And that's what I'm really getting mm -hmm. at, is just like, since we're so far away from them in so many ways, how do we really trust the source? Hmm. Not that we want to, not that we're asking anyone to prove this, but just between two people that want to know the answer, how do we really, for example, when people are abducted and they want to be called experiencers, it's just like, yeah. okay. How do we go from being taken out of your bedroom, you know, and now you're an experiencer? So it's just like, you see what I'm saying? It's right, just like right. how you interpret this here. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that you can measure. It's mm -hmm. not something that you can take a picture of. It's something that you have to experience. Um, you know, you experience it once and that might be an anomaly of some kind. Mm -hmm. But you experience it over and over again and there's a pattern to it and it's repeatable in that way. You may not be able to control it, mm -hmm. but there is a pattern to it. Um, another thing is also knowing the people that you're dealing with, the other, the other people that you're dealing with that are experiencing things. Right. Um, you know, you know I, I wished I had been able to be down there with Dr. J Johnson when the exodus happened. I wish I could have been there. If I could have got off work and knew he was doing it, he probably would have said, come on, let's go. I was close enough to him, close enough to the other people mm -hmm. uh, that were involved to know those people and trust mm -hmm. those people that they're honest and that they're reporting what they experienced. And but just to explain to the audience that has no clue what the Exodus is, and they're thinking only of the Old Testament. We're talking about a moment here where a Tesla coil-type apparatus released thousands of Sasquatch it, from another planet. It held a portal open. Okay. And that was their whole agenda behind talking to people all over the world, trying to find somebody that who, could help, who could help okay, them gotcha. hold the portal open. Mm -hmm. Now, this is going to be really hard for the apers mm -hmm. to hear yeah. because of the polar polarization of the individual and the work. What, and I really want to open up my own portal <laughs> of sorts for apers to cross through. So, but somehow, I mean, but these are, these are huge leaps. I mean, I get it. Like, these are really big leaps. But when you get into, like, when you start talking about cloaking, that's a huge leap there. I mean, this is, this is a million <laughs> miles away from cloaking in some respects, but cloaking is a huge leap all in itself. Right. 
right? Uh, the first I heard about cloaking was um, when I, early early on when I was getting into this and I was reading a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read Tom Powell's book, The Locals, mm-hmm. and he re, uh, recounted a an event where a couple of hunters watched one walking down a clear cut, and when the Sasquatch realized that the hunters were there, it cloaked, mm-hmm. and they watched it cloak, and then watched this shimmering thing walk off, walk away from them. I thought, well, that's very strange. Um, you know, everything was new to me at that time, um, but I was just kind of taking it all in, going, okay, so this is what the Bigfooting thing is all about, and um, but not necessarily believing it because mm-hmm. I had not experienced it. It was just like, hmm, that's an odd thing to be reported. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's up with that. Well, then. I saw that myself, mm-hmm. and I went, oh, okay, they really do this, and, um, you know, through personal experience, yeah, I know mm-hmm. they cloak, no big deal, they know how to do it, somehow, but the military is experimenting with this kind of thing, um, you know, the the idea of infrasound, the military's experience is experimenting with that, non-lethal weapons, area mm-hmm. denial weapons through infrasound, um, but this is biology, not tech. So how is this happening? I mean, this is this is super paranormal, supernatural. This is not. Mm, this is not tech. So is that what you believe? Is that is no? That, it's all it's what what we call paranormal is normal. We just don't understand yet. Right. Uh, an example: If you took a person from the year eighteen hundred, and you took them to Walmart and you approach the front door and the door opened automatically, they'd say, what kind of sorcery is this? Because their minds would not allow them to understand how just because your presence approaching that door would make that door go open, they couldn't get that. And it would be mind-blowing to them, and mm-hmm. they, they, they wouldn't be able to assimilate what's going on. But to us, mm-hmm. it's an everyday experience. We know there's a little radar device up there and it's mm-hmm. and it's sending out signals and when it gets a return mm-hmm. it says hey there's somebody there open the door okay to us that's like no big deal but to somebody from 100 years ago or 200 mm-hmm. years ago that would be mind blowing that would be sorcery right so to them that would be paranormal but no it's normal they just don't understand so everything going on in the world is normal we just don't understand the mechanisms yet. We will someday. Mm-hmm. Are you moving close to understanding something as, well, benign, really, cloaking now compared to everything that you've, you've uh, started to go down this rabbit hole with? How do you think they do something like cloak? So um, what they have told Dr. J... Dr. Johnson, is that they're vibrating at a higher frequency state that is at a state that is vibrating too fast for us to see. Similar things happen, though, in our our physical world that we're just used to. An airplane propeller. It's not moving, you can see it. When it's moving slow, yeah, you can still kind of see it, but then it reaches a point where it's a complete blur. And then when you're flying that airplane, you're looking through that, that propeller at the scenery and it's like it's not there it's right. invisible because it's going so fast you can't see it but how, Our, do, they, how do they do that and nothing in nature can do that they change the vibratory frequency like a tibetan monk 
yeah. would say that they could do through meditation or? Well, for them, it's, it's just all natural. So it's, do you believe they're physically there? Mm-hmm. We could reach out and touch them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt Johnson's little dog mm-hmm. has, has run up and, and put its paws up on one that was cloaked and, mm-hmm. and wagging its tail and, and all that. And it's, it's interacting with a being that's standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, have you experienced this? I haven't seen that part of it yet, no. But no. I did see one cross a, a trail in front of me uh, that was definitely cloaked. So what do you see, the outline? Like yeah, the you see an, a, shimmering, a shimmering thing walk by. It's kind of like in the movie Predator. Right. You know, it's funny how the movies come up with these things that in reality that turn out to be kind of true. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, walked walk by. And, and then uh, to, to drive the point home, it got into a whistling match with us and was whistling, little whistling interchange back and forth that was kind of fun. And then it got bored with us and walked away. And we could hear it. We could hear bipedal mm-hmm. footsteps. We could hear the bipedal footsteps as it walked by. Mm-hmm. But, um, and see the shimmering. And then it walked off into the trees and then started whistling. And then we could hear it walk away. And, yeah, definitely there. If people want to get to know the weirder side of Sasquatch, it takes more than a roadside crossing, generally. It's, yeah. It, it takes time. It, it takes, takes lots of time. Cultivation. And would you say that getting to know long term witnesses, and kind of ingratiating a friendship with an authentic one, with a long-term witness, they seem to have the really in-depth, supernatural, paranormal stuff as the long-term witnesses. Would you agree with that? A lot of the long-term witnesses don't really understand what's going on. Um, Some of them think that their house is haunted. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a lot of things that a lot of people report as hauntings may just be Sasquatch people in a cloak state mm-hmm. don't know. Or there's lots of beings that are out there in that higher vibration state than Sasquatches. You know, there's other things out there that people are seeing. Um, maybe that's where ghosts are. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. for sure. But um, if you just keep on studying, keep on learning, talking to people, mm-hmm. going out a lot, getting a lot of field time in, and there's a lot of time you'll, you'll do a lot of work and nothing happens. But then there's a lot of times when lots do happen, and it's, it's kind of ironic on the BFRO expeditions, we're 80, 90% hit rate of having interaction on those expeditions. Um, eyeball sightings and... and Things being thrown at you and and, mm-hmm. and rattling around your you know your tent and stomping their feet and, and vocalizations and and then you know we had um, one expedition I hosted we had uh, what I believe was a portal open up and no, while nobody saw them walk out you know these guys are out there on a night walk and um, four guys and all of a sudden the the woods light up in this blue white light that seemed to come from nowhere, but was lighting up everywhere. And uh, first they thought maybe a car was coming down the, the road they were on, but there was no car. Um, that happens, and then as soon as they get their night vision back, all of a sudden they're looking at, at six sets of eyeballs looking at them. Um, and then, you know, there's the, 
And that begs the question of, well, what's the eyeballs? Well, that's the eye glow. Well, that's not eye shine like a deer or a dog. Mm -hmm. When you're shining a light in its eyes, that's a self-luminesce that their, their mm -hmm. eyes do. And it's not coming from the inside of their eye. It's coming from the sclera around the outside of their eye from people, as described by people who've seen it up close, which one of my witnesses um, saw on multiple occasions up close. Um, Keep talking. So they're doing it. Um, these things are actually happening. Um, so just you just keep... Keep on keeping on with your research and your, your studying and you're talking to people and experiencing things and, and compare notes. Don't, don't just dismiss somebody's experience because it's something you haven't experienced or it sounds really strange, mm -hmm. but don't necessarily make a judgment. Don't believe everything you hear, but don't dismiss everything you hear. Just file it away and see what happens down the road, and you'll find out that it'll either be confirmed or it'll be not confirmed, but... Mm -hmm. Um, it'll be resolved one way or another. With that slit of light in the woods, was there a sound associated, or do you know if there's ever been a sound with a portal opening up? I've heard that there's a sound. Have you ever heard it described? Um, maybe, maybe I... Kind have. of like, <laughs> you know when you're driving down the road and they got the rumple strips along the side of the road to wake you up if you start to go off the road? It kind of sounds like that. What's been described to me. Hold that thought here. We're going to play this sound here. This is from 2019 from Cottage Grove, Oregon. And it sounds a little bit like Scott's describing here. This is what we call the stone wheel and frothing chops. That's it. But you can hear what sounds like something rolling open. Mm -hmm. This is a sound that we've caught before at the Al Moon property. And it's something I tell everyone, it makes no sense for the sound to exist where it exists. And then you add in this panting breathing sound that has no really beginning or end to it. I mean, you don't even hear footsteps with it or the clickety-clack of dog toenails. Um so as far as portals existing, I'm totally sold. I think we've seen time and time again that there seems to be a connection not only with the lights but with portals. Mm -hmm. So how deep does the rabbit hole go? Does it go all the way into Matt Johnson territory? I don't know yet, but this is something that confirms it for me, you know, working on this case for over a year and a half now. This is something that you've helped me out with along the way too, the measurements of the Al Moon knee prints, we came back at over 1,000 pounds. I yeah, think it was 1,600 pounds, something like that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about those numbers there. So those are big numbers, Scott, yeah. mm -hmm. and we did them a couple different times. Mm -hmm. Do you think if you actually had, what would it take to make you more secure about those numbers, or do you feel like the data that I gave you was enough 
distant short for the people here, the knee impressions that we've spoken about here came back with a total weight displacement of over 1,500 pounds, 1,600 pounds, which is a, a very large creature, very large, very large. What would it take to make those numbers more accurate? Well, to make those more accurate, you, you have to have the, the creature. The, that would be the most accurate. Yeah, I would, okay. would, would kneel down there <laughs> in, in it, and then right next to it in this exact same uh, consistency of soil and moisture and all that, the same spot. The same spot, a person who mm-hmm. of known weight, and then it's a simple calculation mm-hmm. of, of depth to weight to area mm-hmm. to count for the weight, and it's, it's, it's not a hard calculation to make. So I mean, you, I, just, you, I did it in about 10 minutes sitting there at my desk at work. Yeah. Okay. That's a big creature. Or is that a lot of weight from a... a regular size Sasquatch is that a lot of inertia shown from making an well, impression it depends on how hard they hit it how fast they're going you know are they mm-hmm. kneeling down slowly and it's just their weight or are they you know taking a run at it and banging their knees into the dirt mm-hmm. all of that has has to do with the calculation and you don't know those so you make simplifying right. assumptions and you say okay well the way the the person did it is the same way whatever made those right those knee imprints did it you have to yeah there's unknowns there so you make simplifying assumptions that's what engineers do in order to get their arms around a problem mm-hmm. and it's not an exact science it's a, more of an educated calculation it's, it's kind of like an educated guess but it's based on doing some math and having some assumptions um it's done all the time how tall was something i mean just the how big would something like that be if it were if it were actually 1600 pounds what do we know in nature that's 1,600 pounds? A moose. Okay, so as big as a moose. A bear, a, a, a Kodiak A large bear. Kodiak bear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's creatures out there heavy like that. And Cindy Dawson, who tested the hair, mm-hmm. brought us together again. This mm-hmm. is how you and I started talking again, is that she said the hair from those knee impressions that we got on Easter Sunday last year matched your hairs but Mm -hmm. she didn't say they matched them exactly she just basically said they're in line with a juvenile sasquatch hair that scott taylor got Mm -hmm. and that's why it all fits doesn't it (laughs) so so you got you got a whole bunch of people doing independent research and coming up with Mm -hmm. similar results and similar activities Mm -hmm. or or similar happenings Mm -hmm. And you compare notes and you go, hey, all this correlates. And, and that's where the real learning's coming from. Yeah. You know, as far as their, the, the physical world part of it. And then the other learning is experiencing um, and learning who they are and what they are and what their personalities are and what their names are and, and that kind of thing. And that's, mm. you know, the diff- just a different aspect of, of it. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We're at an hour and a half here. I really appreciate it. My last two questions here, and then I will let you guys have a life. Um, Do you ever worry that you're looking into something that you shouldn't be? Well, I know that there are bad entities out there. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells you that. My Christian upbringing tells me that. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to mess with them. You don't want to invite them into your life. Sasquatches are not that. 
they're not evil, malevolent, horrible creatures that are going to, you know, take over your right. life and, and you know, inhabit you and or, you know, possess you or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how do I know that? Well, just by experience. Um, if, if they were all that, there would be a whole lot less humans around. Mm-hmm. Um, because they would be taking care of us uh, and dispatching us pretty easily. Um, and they're not. They're leaving us alone. They're basically wanting to be left alone. But they will interact with people who want to interact with them mm-hmm. and who go seek them out in friendship. Um, you know, the, you can, over time, uh, develop a relationship with, you know, the individuals that live around where you live. And mm-hmm. that's kind of our goal. It's always on their terms, you know, on their speed. But the important thing is that you're paying attention and that you're noting when they are doing stuff. Because most people see the signs and they're really obvious, but they don't see what they are. They don't recognize them for what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the extra stone left in our glyph. Or, you know, we're having fun over there right now as we, we put a pattern of stones on, a, on top of a stump, take a picture, and we go back the next weekend and see how it's changed. Mm-hmm. And we're having a little fun with we got a camera on it too because we want to rule out is it ravens is it squirrels is it a person coming along and messing around with it we're trying to figure out is that possible there it could it be a person they would trip our cameras okay and so far we're not seeing any people but here's the really odd thing that camera's on it take pic- takes pictures of us setting it up we see the rock pattern and then in the next frame the rock pattern has changed I mean, profoundly changed. Yeah. And it didn't take a picture of what changed it. So what's going on with that? And but this, that's part of the fun. Right. And this is the part where the apers are going to hear, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that as a derogatory term, the people that it's taken that way. Is, first of all, we're called quantum now. We're not woo. We're quantum. We're, quantum. we're cool. <laughs> we got a much cooler name now. You guys are still apers. No. I mean, the people that haven't, really cross the Rubicon yet have all had this game cam phenomena where they get the inexplicable SD card failure. They get the inexplicable, you know, the weird flashes of light, the pitch put in the camera lens, whatever. I mean, that's a good place to start, don't you Mm -hmm. think? And that Mm -hmm. would be my final question to you. Is this like, how do we talk? Because there's a certain portion of this podcast that they're not going to listen to. But I think the game cam stuff and the lights you know, safe territory, game cam stuff, probably more. How do we eventually get comfortably those type of individuals to to come forward with, you know, I guess the eventuality of what this phenomenon really is, is this highly supernaturally charged? Well, it's an energy being. Um, The orbs are them. Mm -hmm we can't always see the orbs most of the time we can't see the orbs with our eyes because Mm -hmm. our eyes are limited our brains are limited as to what we can see but the game cameras pick them up you know the flying rods you pick them up that's different than the than the moths and the other insects that we see flying around when you see a flying rod it's definitely a flying rod it's not something else um we see the orbs and we have video cameras out there. We see the orbs come flying around. We know that they're not just mist drops or raindrops or insects because they're maneuvering. They're, they're swinging around the tree trunk and, 
and mm-hmm. they're maneuvering you know um you know little energy beings of some kind um almost they fly around like a flock of birds sometimes mm-hmm. there might be you know five or ten of them at one time all come through together mm-hmm. um you know and then somehow someone's rearranging the rocks the rock patterns and taking rocks now one of them we had out there had rocks that had carvings on them one said uh, believe and the other had a butterfly on it those two rocks disappeared i mean completely gone we had a little carving of a bear right and the bear is completely gone and it's not just knocked off the stump and in the brush right because we've searched all that they are gone gone taken away other things left in their place Mm so you can tell by the before and the after photos that something has been done mm-hmm. purposefully. Now, we're putting the camera on it because we want to rule out all the normal things that people would say it would be. Another yeah. person, a squirrel, a raven, a crow, the jays, you know, something messing with it. Well, if it's those things, the camera will pick it up. But if it's something else, why is the camera missing it? So the lack of evidence is the evidence that is it's the something evidence else that it's something else and that's re- i mean is that the what to end the conversation here to to close this up in closing is that really what you would like to tell the rest of the people that haven't come aboard with these concepts that the lack of evidence is the evidence and therefore don't beat your head up against the wall that you're never going to figure it out i guess you could put it that way um Sometimes you have to rule out everything else in order to leave the answer, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Occam's razor, you know, after you've ruled out everything else, whatever remains, no matter how strange, is probably the truth. Mm-hmm. I think I've probably butchered that, but, um, but the concept is there. Um, you rule out other things, mm-hmm. and um, it leaves you to only a few things that it mm-hmm. could be. Well, I have a major announcement that I want to make, but I can't make it yet. But we are going to do Secrets of Sasquatch next year at a really special spot. And I think you're going to like it. And I'll tell you off the record where it's going to be. But I'd love for you to speak next year because I think that you're investigating the real deal. Um, So I'll talk to you about that. But if you guys are interested in more of this type of conversation, you can go to... Axe and Fiddle on the 13th of July 2019 and show up in Cottage Grove from 3 to 6. It's a free event and uh, there's more information on that on the website or Facebook. Scott, thank you. I appreciate your time. Any words in closing? Keep on squatching. <coughs> just, just because you don't get it yet, mm-hmm. do it long enough and this stuff will, will happen to you. Okay. Tom Powell told me that. Tom Powell. Tom Powell. And, and he's right. And he'll be there. He'll be there with camera crew in tow ah, on the 13th. That, that is a treat. Tom Powell is a hoot. I love yeah. the guy. All right. Thanks, Scott. That was Scott Taylor telling you the whole enchilada. I hope you rewind that episode and replay it. There's a lot there. And as I said, it's not going to be everybody's ball of wax. This is a pretty deep rabbit hole. We went down and we know that. 
but it may be worth your time to re-explore and re-listen to this particular episode. Also, Secrets of the Sasquatch. I mentioned it towards the end. I'm going to mention it again. We're five days out. Today is Monday. The event is this Saturday, the 13th of July, 2019. The year of our Lord, three to six. Probably more like three to seven or eight Pacific Standard Time. It's going to be one hell of an event. And I'm going to have some wood watchers there. So what's a wood watcher? A wood watcher is your way to bring Bigfoot home with you. Or what I call a wood guardian or a wood watcher. These are carved cedar from the Olympic Peninsula that I did with my own two bare hands that are callous now. And they have interesting attributes attached to them, including these wood watcher eyes. And you hang them out in your favorite spot in the lawn or garden or forest or land. And you let them watch you. I know, it's kind of creepy, but it's kind of fun. Get your own wood watcher. Go to Facebook. Look up my name. Tobe Johnson, T-O-B-E, 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 Johnson. And I'm going to have some at the event for sale. So if you come, you can walk away with your own wood watcher. Different price points, different sizes. And that's it. No wood watcher website. Only feral by Aaron, Etsy.com. E-T-S-Y, feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N. Shaman-inspired drums, rattles, and smudge sticks. Make your order today. It's never too early. To get your own feral by Aaron. Okay, that was it. Episode 25. I will see you at the Axe and Fiddle at 657 East Main Street. Free admission. And we've got an incredible lineup, including Tom Powell, which I said, including Ira Wolfnosen, Kirk Sigurdsson, Joe Hauser from the Montana Vortex, Christopher O'Brien from Ancient Aliens and Stalking the Herd. Tom Powell and Ron Moorhead in the same room. Oh my goodness. It's going to be a good time. And Carrie Campbell, Ron's wife, his significant other, is going to be there as well. Maybe some surprises. So show up. Don't be scared to go down that rabbit hole. I'll see you at the Axum Fiddle. And if not, I'll see you in the trees. <laughs> <laughs>